I'm going. Am I forgetting something? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so we should probably get into the Word this morning at some point, shouldn't we? <laughs> Today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day that we remember that the Lord had that triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem that last Sunday before his crucifixion on the cross there. It's called uh, the Holy Week or Passover Week. And um, what we're going to do today is we're going to actually jump into the scriptures. We're going to read uh, just a portion that talks about that entry. It's, we're going to go to, math, to uh, Mark chapter 11. You can actually read, there's four different, um, there's four different um, places in scripture where you can go and read about this and four different perspectives that give it. All the gospels have it. We're going to go to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to read those first 11 verses. Mark 11, 1 through 11. <clears throat> Give you a minute to get there. Mark chapter 11, 1 through 11. And it says in those verses this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked them, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the, on the road, while others spread branches, and they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. In the final verse, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany, with the 12. Let's take a minute to pray on this. Yes. God, I thank you for your word, Lord, which brings illumination to our hearts of your will and your desire and your intentions for our lives. I thank you, Father, that you complete every work that you begin. You see it to its finish. You do not leave it undone. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as that week came, that you knew was the one that would be your final week on this earth before that crucifixion. Even so, you willingly walked into that city, knowing what lied ahead of you, not shying away, but you accepted it. God, we glorify you for that. And I pray that this morning, that you would open our eyes to understand you just a bit more, that you would continue your work in our lives, Jesus, and that we, just as these people, as you enter Jerusalem, praised you and said, praise you, our Savior, our hope is in you. God, may that be the cry of our hearts today. Our Savior, our hope is in you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, this is, this is a really, there's a whole lot going on in these scriptures where Jesus is walking in and has basically this parade of people bef before him and behind him screaming praises and shouting, Savior, King, he's our coming King. So just the, I want to give a little context to show you how did this all just kind of come out, come about. People just kind of randomly said, hey, there's a guy, maybe he's our King and just go to him and start praising. No, there's a lot more behind the story that led to these events. 
first of all, we know that his ministry on earth had been going on for about three years. So for three years, he had been traveling around all of Israel and performing all different kinds of miracles and signs that he was the Son of God. And now just recently, before this day that he walked into Jerusalem, just recently before this, he was in a place called Bethany. And Bethany was the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. Just before this, maybe a week or so prior, is when Lazarus had died, was in the grave for two full days, and Jesus came on the scene and raised him to life. Now, when he came and and raised him to life, all of the people that had gathered with Lazarus' family to mourn for his loss, they were there. This big funeral procession, this thing that would last for days in this culture, they were all there. And so when, when Lazarus was called out of that grave by Jesus and walked out of there with the burial shroud still around him, they all bore witness to this. They saw what Jesus had done, yes. And so not only did they see it, But all the places and villages that they had come from, when they went back, that word spread. Jesus just erased a man that was dead, and he's living now. Not dead like, oh, he was laying in bed, he didn't feel well, and Jesus showed up, he just passed out for a minute. No, he was in the grave for two days. And then, like his body should have been already rotting. And this is where Jesus came and spoke life. And he obeyed and came back to life. So this is what Jesus had done right before that entry into Jerusalem. So this word is spreading. People in Jerusalem, which was, Bethany was right outside Jerusalem, about a mile, mile and a half from Jerusalem. When the people in the city hear that Jesus was nearby and was going to be coming to the city, they didn't wait for him to arrive. They all got together. Hordes, crowds of people, it tells us, came out to receive him. And when they did, they began to shout these, pra- these, these um, praises and shouts of, of trusting in him. Hosanna, which means save. It's, a, it's an expression of praise you. They're shouting this to him and receiving him before and behind. They're following him as he goes on this entry into the city. And man, isn't it so easy to receive someone with excitement, just wholeheartedly just, just welcome them when you see acts of power happen right before your eyes. It's like, okay, I see this. This is my testimony. I'm watching this happen. I, I can't argue with that. This, this is lining up with exactly what has been promised in the scriptures. See, when we see moves of power, things that are attractive to us, he was not, only, not only was he the son of God who came in power, but he came in peace. These things that attract us, we all want peace and power these things draw us in, it's easy to receive someone like this. And the, the cool thing that I just want to pause and make note of today, today is that these things that Jesus had done in his life on earth, he's still doing today. Amen. In and all around us. These things that we read about in Scripture, they're not isolated to Scripture. A lot of times we read these stories And we leave the story in the story and we forget that this divine power is among us. And that's so important for us to remember. And so in that regard, I want to stop without having any plan or having talked to anybody. I want to stop and I want to give opportunity to have maybe two, maybe three people share something that you have witnessed What have you witnessed where you've seen the power of Jesus Christ among you 
either in your life or around you. I want to give about 60 to 90 seconds per person, but share. I, I want to see. We're, we're saying that he's at work today. We're saying yes and amen. Okay, let's share that with one another. Because we're not just talking about ideas. This is real life. You had something? Praise God. But God, that's right. That's the power of God among us today, right now. Thank you for sharing that, Beth. Did you say you had something? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Praise God. That's the power of God at work amongst us. That's amazing. Who else? Maybe one or two more. Another story of, of witnessing the power of God among us. I'm patient. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And it's so good. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that too because those, those little things that really are the miracles, those are the things we overlook simply because it's, 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 it's in abundance. And so the way that our minds work as humans, like if we see it commonly, oh, it's, it's common. We get used to it and no longer do we appreciate the specialness there because we take it for granted. We're people of habit. And so when things happen repetitively, oh, that's just the way it is. Yeah, okay, that's the way it is. And so now we forget the divine power that is behind all of these things. And even so, there are times where the Lord works in, in supernatural ways. It seems to literally go against the natural, laying hands upon someone and praying for them. I remember praying for um, a, uh, a professor in college. A number of us got around who were praying for him. He had some kind of growth or something on his liver. They thought, I think it was maybe, uh, it could have been cancerous or something. Came around him and prayed for him and felt like something special was happening, but, you know, didn't quite know until he went back for his next appointment at the doctor and there was nothing on his liver. It was perfectly fine. That's the power of God amongst us. He works like that, that seems to go against the natural at times, not always, but at times. But regardless of whether or not he does it and when he chooses to do it that way or not, he is who he is. And so it's so important for us to have the same exclamation that the the Jews had here, Hosanna to God in the highest. This is the Son of God. And to him I submit myself. There's three things in this triumphal entry that are important to just to take a quick note of. The first is the fact that it says that he, they took this young donkey and he rode upon the donkey. That's significant for this reason. He's coming in as a king into Jerusalem. This is part of his plan. He's, this is his intention. He's coming in as a king. Kings don't ride on donkeys. King is powerful, military, they're strong. They guard, they protect the people. They, they would ride on horses. A horse is a symbol of war and strength. And yet Jesus came riding on that donkey, which is a symbol of peace. And so as powerful as he was, and he displayed that power it, with, with, without anyone that could stand up and say that's not true, he showed the entire nation his power, and yet at the same time as that power, he didn't lord it over anyone, but he came meek and humble on the symbol of peace. He came in power, he came in peace. And when the people saw this, they willingly accepted it, embraced it with all that they were. And it says two things. It says that they took their cloaks and they threw it on the road. They took their clothes off (laughs) and they put it on the dirt road in front of him for his donkey to step on. They took palm branches and they put that on the road for his donkey to walk across. Why? See, in these times, in these ancient times, there's even a reference in the book of 2 Kings. When a king was anointed, when someone was anointed to become king, those around him who, was, who were now going to be his servants, what they would do as an act of submission is they would take their clothes off and they would put it on the ground underneath his feet. That's, a, that's an all-out demonstration of, I put myself underneath you. I place myself under your authority. What you say over me goes. I will not stand against it. And so when we look at this, this is this act of them taking their cloaks and laying it for his, their donkey to trod on and cut up and get all dirty. No, this is an act saying, our, we are wholeheartedly falling in submission to you. You are our king. 
What others say in our lives no longer has place because you are the king. I fall under your authority. And these palms were a symbol of, it's a, a, basically a Jewish national symbol, and they were a symbol of victory. And so taking these palms and throwing these on the ground, again, underneath him, was a statement saying, my victory is in you, to yours is in the victory, and any victory that I experience is because of you, because I am under you. They gave full and complete credit to who he was and released all of themselves to fall underneath him. It was an act of wholehearted submission. Because look at all the things he had done. It's not hard to submit to someone that is so loving, powerful, and peaceful. Those are all things that we desire. And when we find someone who is all-powerful, all-loving, and the source of peace, we're not going to fight that. Those are things that we want. And so we welcome that. That's easy. He came as that peacemaker. He came uh, in humility power, and as the healer. And so our response must be complete submission, humbling ourselves even under him to say what you say goes and no longer what I say, no longer what I want. So he goes in with this parade, marching into the city, and then in those closing verses, I think it's verse 10, it says this, once they had entered the city, he went directly to the temple. He entered into the temple because the temple was really the heart of not only the city, the temple was the heart of the Jewish nation. This, their whole identity was wrapped up in the temple. That's who they were. Their identity was the um, chosen people of God. And so he goes directly to the heart of the nation, and it says that he looked around and took it all in, and then because it was late, went back to Bethany right where he came from. So the day was basically summed up in this huge triumphant parade. He gets to the temple, looks around, takes it all in, and decides to go back to Bethany where he would spend the nights that week. See, he immediately went to the heart of the nation and he, made it, he went there to really like observe the condition and make an assessment of the condition of the heart of the Jewish nation. Because that's how Jesus works. He doesn't kind of deal with a lot of these external things. He goes right to the heart of the issue. He goes right to the root and deals with it there so that healing can be, can be not external but internal. And now the healing works its way out. And really there's no difference from what he did here going directly to the temple to what he does in our lives. When we welcome him into our lives, he goes directly to the heart. He takes residence in us through his Holy Spirit and deals directly with our hearts. He makes an assessment. He sees the things that he finds there. And sometimes that we can feel a little bit vulnerable knowing that the Holy Spirit is there and sees everything that's in here and in here. Sometimes that can be a little maybe embarrassing. We can come on a shy away from it. But the thing that's important to remember is that he already knows the condition of our hearts. The things that he finds in us are no surprise to him. He's known it all along. And that's the very reason, as a matter of fact, that he has come to save us from those things that entangle us. He already knows what's within and he's not taken aback by any of that. So he takes an assessment of the temple and then he heads back to Bethany. Jumping back in the scripture, 
go into verse 15 here. Mark 11, 15, and let's see what happens after he had returned to Bethany. So this is the next morning. They went right back to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple courts again. First thing, went right back to the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Hmm. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be a called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Even, uh, when, and when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out to the city. Okay. So after he made that assessment, he went back to Bethany for the night. He came right back where he came from the next morning, and his first order of business, first order of business, going to those temple courts, and he wreaked havoc in that place. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a fit of rage. It wasn't Jesus losing his temper on the people. This is something that he was dealing in a righteous manner with what had been wrong in that temple. That place was a place that was set apart for the worship of God. And these things now which were allowed to, to enter into the walls of the temple courts were now inhibiting the people from worshiping. They were taking away the very purpose that the temple was there for, they, thought they, were, they were taking away from that purpose. Putting yourself in the position of the Jews and, and even these, these priests where it says that they saw it and they were angered and they were, now they began to plot his death. We look at the situation the day before and they received him excitedly. And at the moment he comes in, he goes right to the temple, he goes right to the heart and he starts flipping things around and moving things around this way and that. So that needs to get out of here. That's not right. Move this away. And things began to get immediately a little bit uncomfortable. See, when Jesus does come in, he comes in with the same authority and he maintains the same authority that, that he was welcomed with. The only way that we can re really receive Jesus is through that humble stance saying, I surrender to you. That's what accepting him is, like surrendering to him. And when we surrender... He takes that, that authority that we've given him. He takes that place in our hearts and in our minds and he begins to write things that need to be adjusted, things that don't belong, things that need to be moved around. And that's where it can get a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes we can step back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't sign up for this. You know, as I was considering what, what the Lord is teaching us here in the scripture, all of a sudden I, I saw myself thinking of... Um, the Karate Kid. Most of you guys have seen The Karate Kid. Yeah. And you see, so, so Daniel's son gets, gets, in, gets, gets in trouble and he's got some bullies on his case so he's looking for a way to handle it. And so he sees Mr. Miyagi, right, and the skill that he ha has and he sees that power that he has and he says, I can learn from that. I could use that. And so he comes and submits himself and says, teach me. I need this. And what was the first thing that Mr. Miyagi began to do with him? <laughs> sand the deck <laughs> paint my house <laughs> and here in Daniel, Daniel's mind he's thinking like man this is my payment alright I guess I'll do like if this is what it costs me I guess okay it's going to cost something I don't have money okay I'll, I'll paint the guy's house then he finishes painting the house and he says well paint the fence <laughs> wax my cars 
Exactly. It, it didn't end until finally, and I just watched this clip. Yes, yes, that all famous clip. The clip where he comes up and Daniel is, he's at his wits end. He's like, listen, I signed up to train under you. All you've had me doing is doing your chores around the house. This has been hard work. All I want to do is learn. Show me something. And all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi starts to attack me. He starts doing all this crazy stuff. He's like, whoa, what did I learn? <laughs> wax on, wax off. See, Mr. Mi- Mr. Mi- Mr. Miyagi, he, he, he knew what he was doing. He was, he was this karate master, right? He mastered this discipline of karate. And so now he had intention behind all these things. Whereas Daniel, coming in ignorant, he asked for something and he thought he wasn't getting it. He said, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want this. I want to learn how to fight. Mr. Mary said, wait a minute. What do, you, do you think I've been wasting your time all this time? You think I have no purpose with this? You think there's no intention for you standing my decks? They were perfect. They were in pristine condition before you got here. I didn't need you to sit there and sand the decks. But there's purpose behind it all. And this is what Jesus does when he comes into our hearts. And when he begins to move things around and gets a little uncomfortable, and we say, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to be this coming king in power of love. What are all these things, these these demands you're putting on me? What, What is this you're asking me? I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. But every once in a while, we have those aha moments. We say, whoa, whoa, I didn't realize what all this, see, see a lot of this, this change and a lot of this, 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 uh, these trials that now you, I feel like you've brought to me, Jesus. You're supposed to be bringing me through, through things, not to things. But he brings us to these things so that through them, all of a sudden, through the waxing on and the waxing off, through the paint the fence and through the sanding, oh, all that, that's part of the train. You didn't realize that you're working on your black belt the whole time. This is the way that Jesus works in us. See, we're, we're, so, we're so below him that when he works sometimes, if we don't have the faith to trust that he's working in us for our good, then all of a sudden, all we're thinking about is the hardship. All we're thinking about is the hard work. We have to stir up our own faith within us and remind ourselves, my God is a good God. And whatever today looks like, whatever chore or errand that he has me doing, it's with purpose. It's not without any good reason. It's not just because I said so. It's because tomorrow there's a victory. And the next day there's another victory waiting for me. And in order for my capacity to be high enough to take hold of it, I need today to train. I need today to engage in these things that he is asking of me. It's not just so that he can have power and say, oh, I told him to do that and he did it. <laughs> That's not God. God works on our behalf. And here's the other thing to remember. Please do not forget. The Lord will not ask anything of you that he has not already done himself. He has come in, in humility and power and these are the two things that he wants us to move and operate in in our lives. A humble, confident power of God knowing that it's not of myself. My power that I possess and the confidence that I have is not in because of my hands and feet, my abilities, my intellect. No, it's because the Holy Spirit of God now resides in me. I'm a supernatural creation because God is living inside of me. Don't ever forget, 
whenever it gets hard, the Lord is not asking of you anything that he's not already done for you. You are not alone. And when you encounter those hardships, remember that he's gone through it even before you. And so there's no greater person, no more perfect person to pour out your heart to but Jesus himself who has encountered those things and overcome it so that you too might overcome. This is his intention for us. See, the Jews, they had these great expectations for Jesus. They saw the way that he had worked these miracles, the signs and wonders, and everything that he had done pointed back to the prophecies of what the Messiah was going to do. Even the way that he entered into Jerusalem on, on the donkey, it was, it was prophesied in the scriptures that this is who the, how the Son of God would enter into Jerusalem. He was the fulfillment of all these things. And so they had these great expectations. They had this, these expectations that he was going to take Israel and make them once again a world power to the status of like the kingdom of Solomon, be a dominant uh, nation in the entire world. They were going to regain their status in the, in the entire world and they wanted to be free from the rule. Now they were existing under the rule of the Roman Empire. But they were waiting for the Messiah to free them from that. And this is what they expected from Jesus. And then the next day, after they receive him, he went into the temple and tore things up. Oh, and then a few days later was killed and died. So much for expectations. Sometimes the things that we expect aren't coming about the way that we expected them to. But let me say this. It's okay to have high expectations of Jesus. If we have anything less, then we're not right. We should have high expectations of Jesus. But don't try to write the blueprint of how it's going to go about. Don't tell him, okay, here's what I signed up for. Now here's how I'd like it to go. That's not how it works. He's the master. He's the one who knows the training that we need. And so he's the one who is allowed to do in, in my life whatever he wants to. Oh, but it hurts. It's uncomfortable. Whatever he wants to. Why? Because the end goal is always in mind. The goal is always in mind. We're not just floating and just existing from day to day. We're going somewhere. And he's doing something in me. He's doing something in you and he's got purpose for you. And in order to get to that place, today he's got to get you through this. This is the way that he works in us. It's in, and we need to cling to the fact that, man, we worship Jesus for who he is and not for what we get out of it. These Jews worshipped him because what they wanted, they have expectations to become a dominant force once again. But we won't worship him for what we get out of it. We worship him for who he is. And then the byproduct, the just natural result, is he lifts us up. And his victory now becomes ours because we are his family. So Jesus' first task after being accepted as king was to cleanse the temple. The temple was a place that was dedicated for the worship of God. It was considered his house. It was his temple. His presence resided there. And this is why people would gather into the temple to pray and to offer sacrifices. Matter of fact, without that temple, the Jews could not truly worship the way that the scriptures had prescribed them to. In order for them to offer sacrifices that God had told them to offer, they needed a temple in which to offer those sacrifices this is why the temple was so central to who the Israelites were. 
But what Jesus found in the temple was that the worship of God was being tainted by a broken system and a rebellious and greedy people. When he went in and surveyed and looked all around and he saw these money changers' tables set up and these animals being bought and sold in the temple, the place of worship and prayer, the system was broken. See, the Jews were required to offer these sacrifices and so they needed to bring animals into the temple in order to give them to the priests and have them sacrificed. They were also required to pay a temple tax at the time. And so wherever they were coming from, some of these Jews were traveling long distances, and so they wouldn't take these animals with them all these long distances and then offer them in the temple. Sometimes they, w- they would just take money, and so that in the, when they entered the city, they would take it. That was natural. But what was happening is that it was happening inside the temple courts, and in those temple courts also, they were, they were charging exuberant amounts uh, for each of, these animal, each of these animals that they had to sacrifice to the point where it was infringing on what people could offer. If they brought enough to purchase that lamb or to purchase the doves and then they get there and find out it's five times as much, I I can't sacrifice now. I can't worship God. I can't follow what's been prescribed in Scripture. So they're actually infringing on, on the people worshiping God. So this problem that Jesus encountered was what was happening inside the temple. The selling in animal, animals of, and birds and, and charging absurd about amounts of money for the services, it was infringing on their ability to sacrifice. But the most repulsive part, even beyond that, is that the priests of the temple were the ones running the whole system. They were the ones making bank from all of these, all of this, um, these high rates that were being charged. See, even the priests the ones that were supposed to be the religious leaders, they had lost their love of God and exchanged it for love of money and for gain. It's human. It's a natural tendency. It's something that we constantly need to even guard our own hearts from. So Jesus sees what's happening and he immediately confronts the evil that's taking place in his father's house. And he says there, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves because they were robbing these people, robbing them of their worship for God. Forget the money. They were robbing people from being able to worship God that they have traveled distances to do. He said especially that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations because in the outer courts of the temple, that is the one and only place where the Gentiles could go to the temple and pray and, and, and offer to the Lord. See, it says, unless you were a Gentile who had now given your life over to all of the practices of the Israel, Israelite nation, you could not go, never mind into the, into the actual temple, even into the inner courts. You could only come into those, the outer courts of the temple. And so that was a place called a, a place of prayer for all nations because Gentiles from all nations would come, literally, and pray and seek God in that place. And in that one and only place that was set apart for those Gentiles was the one place that was taken away from them by these priests and by these merchants. They had destroyed the atmosphere that was uh, set up by the Lord himself for these people to come and pray and seek him. So what Jesus was doing when he cleansed the temple in this way was he was removing the things that stood in the way of people's worship to God. That was his mission from the very beginning and that remains his mission even today. To remove the things that stand in the way 
of us worshiping God. Different times and different people, it looks a little bit different, but the mission is always the mission. It's never changed and it won't. To remove things that stand in our way. He has reconciled us back to the Father when we've gone astray and we've lost that connection that we were made to exist with. He brought it back. He reconciled our relationship with the Lord through that purifying work in the temple. See, it was necessary to bring people together again with the Father in the temple here, but that's not where he stopped. That's where he began that work this week, in that holy week. But he didn't stop there. See, those temple courts, realistically, were probably backed up in in market condition by the end of the day. As soon as Jesus left the temple, the the end of the day, the next day, they were back up and running. The, The priests are the ones who were in charge of it all, and they were angered by what he did. So as soon as he left, you know they brought it all back up and running. That's what they were there for at that point. But Jesus was preparing for the ultimate act of reconciliation, one that could not be undone by anyone or anyone's will. It's that work on the cross. He was the ultimate sacrifice. So now, no longer do sacrifices need to take place in that temple. Why is that? It, yeah. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19, I want to read this. Paul reminds us, the apostle, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, upon taking the cross upon himself, taking our sin upon himself, he removed that and now his righteousness now covers me. But it doesn't just stop there. I'm not just covered in his righteousness, but he says that he has made each and every one of us who now have placed our faith in him, he's deposited his Holy Spirit in you. And so that makes you now a temple, or if you will, a house of the Holy Spirit, a temple of God. See, Jesus was speaking in in Mark 11 here to people who had only known worship through the temple, but he speaks to us today as people who are the temple. We've become the dwelling place of God for those of us who have accepted him. His Holy Spirit resides in us, lives with us, and provides counsel just as Jesus did among the people of the Bible. So it's important for us to, to reflect in this Holy Week, in this, in this day, especially reflecting upon how Jesus cleared the temple and it, that temple was set apart from the rest of the world. In that same way, you and I as temples of the Holy Spirit are set apart from the rest of the world. We are holy and set apart from the rest of the world. Not in a physical sense, but spiritual, emotional, even mentally, set apart from the rest of the world. Our temple is not a place to dwell on the things of this world or allow debilitating busyness of life to seep in, to enter inside the courts of this temple. This is a place that must be guarded and protect, be a place where the worship in God and the continual prayer is able to be maintained and not interfered with. We must guard it so that outside influences and motives don't gain access to our hearts and minds and therefore cause us to become hindered in our worship 
to God. Because even as the Holy Spirit does reside in us, if we allow things inside the courts of this temple, that can now affect my worship to him as well. We have the ability to stop it because he's given that to us. Those walls around the temple are up and it's a matter of us enforcing that. What are we allowing into the gates of of this temple? What are we allowing into my mind through what I hear? What am I allowing into my heart through what I see? Through where I go and the people that I'm investing time with? What am I allowing into the temple of the Holy Spirit that is me? See, the thing to remember is God is still in the business of cleaning the, cleaning the temple out, rinsing away the clutter and the confusion, the busyness, the tension, and, and all these things that cause this. He's still in that cleaning out business, bringing us deeper into relationship with the Father, the way that we belong. See, he wants to bring a healing order in our mind, our body, and our soul. I would consider it's not always what we're doing or thinking that's the problem, but sometimes we just have things in the wrong order. The animals in the temple, for instance, they had a place in the temple. It was, it was okay and good for them to be in the temple. They had to be there in order for the sacrifices to take place. But what the problem was that they were not supposed to be money exchanges and, and, and purchasing the animals in that place. That was the difference. It was not the animals in the temple, but how they were being handled. See, selling and buying, uh, money changing, these things were important tasks. They had to be done. These things were not things that could be ignored, but they were not to be done inside the temple. That was the place of worship. It doesn't, that doesn't take place inside the walls. It takes place outside the walls. It doesn't infiltrate. Jesus even said in, 11, in verse 16 of Mark chapter 11 that he said he didn't permit anyone to carry vessels through the temple. What did this mean? The temple was huge, about a quarter of a mile long. And so many times what you would see is people when they're trying to get from wherever the watering well to their house, instead of going around the temple, they would walk into the temple just to take the shortcut home. So is any use of the temple other than worship Protect the temple and protect the purpose. There's a significance to the order and the way that we manage things in our lives. Sometimes we're out of alignment and then resultantly lacking peace just because the order in us is infringing on the purpose and presence of God in our lives. Not because what we're doing is wrong or because it's sin, but because the order is out of alignment. It's how we're doing it. That's not right. See, when Jesus had cleansed the temple, it says that he went on and continued to teach them. The cleansing was complete, even as the cleansing over our lives is is complete and our salvation is done. And yet in the same way, the fulfillment of that is still a process at work in us. And so that requires of us to give room for him to teach us the proper order of things and allow him to remove things that just don't belong. The cleaning process is not always pleasant, but it's healing. 
when he comes in and begins to shift things around in my house, that gets a little uncomfortable sometimes. When you walk in and you see the furniture starting to get moved over and you've got indents in the rug where the bed used to be, but no, you ruin everything. Put, put that back where it went. No. He knows what he's doing. And so when things get uncomfortable, I would suggest to you, get excited. Don't fight it, embrace it. Ask him, what, can, what else can I move? What else do you want to do in here? Let's change things up. May we be a people that get excited about change because we know that God is the root of it. And if he's the one causing the change, it's because he's got something great in store. Let's be excited about change. Let's be excited about what he's doing. Let's get excited when we get uncomfortable. Let's take things and flip things around. And when when we face a trial or discomfort, Instead of saying, oh, forget it, I'm walking the other way, I didn't sign up for this. No, instead of that, run at it and say, yes, Lord, I know this has got to be really good because I am hurting right now. So whatever it is you're setting me up for, I know it's going to be good. It has to be. We, we always want, we, we want the power, but man, to put, in, to put in the time and the discipline to attain that, that's what we want to shy away from. That's what it's so difficult Engaging in the discipline. Engaging in the discipline of training. Being prepared. But it's something to be excited about because we know that it's all worth it in the end. Man, my prayer for us as a church is that our hearts, our hearts cry would be the same as David. And that when the Lord comes and and is doing this cleansing work inside of us, our exclamation would be just as his was in Psalm 51 where he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. May this be our cry. Clean our heart, O God. And give us, give us a willing spirit to sustain me. On this Palm Sunday, my prayer is that we remember crowds leading, to Je- leading Jesus to the temple and that they're laying their cloaks in complete submission to him, laying down their palms before him, shouting, Hosanna, my hope is in you. Victory is in you. May our cry, as he the, enters the temple of our heart, continue, and he continues his cleansing, cleansing work, May we not shy away when things begin to get challenging, but embrace that and embrace him and let our eyes be fixed upon him. Look ahead to the goal. Look to the prize that awaits you. Don't be discouraged, but be excited. Let's pray. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you are a good God. You are all-powerful and you are all-loving. And for that reason, we know that we're safe when we say, I release everything to you. I release control to you. My life is yours. Though it feels like a vulnerable position and exclamation to make, I know that it's one where we are safe because you are so loving and powerful. You're a good father. I thank you, Father, that you are one who when we ask for a blessing, you don't give us a curse but you give us a greater blessing than we even requested. 
God, so I pray that you would sustain our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would stir up our faith within us, that in those times when things do get difficult and we want to get discouraged, Lord, and doubt is whispering into our ear, that we would not succumb to that doubt, but instead, God, we would stir up our faith, Lord Jesus, and that would be strengthened within us, just as the psalmist David said, Oh, spirit within me, why are you downcast? But look to the Lord. God, we look to you this morning. You are our hope. And so no matter what I face now, and no matter what what it is you're doing in in the temple that is us today and how difficult that is we say yes and amen i trust what what you have in store we believe you in this place lord and i know that you have greater works ahead in this place at graceway community church in this island of aquidneck island of god and even beyond into the region Father, you have great things ahead. And Lord, far be it to us to resist that. No, we will embrace it wholeheartedly, Lord Jesus. So let your spirit flow. God, I pray that you would stir up your spirit afresh and anew in this place. And as we leave from this place today, oh Lord, let the blessing of your conviction go with us. Go with us, God, and guide us through this holy week, Lord. Challenge us, meet us in the place of our hearts and continue that moving, that shifting, that uncomfortable change, yes, let it be. Let it be. Because I know the more uncomfortable it is, man, the greater blessing that awaits. Yes and amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.